The term dummy has multiple uses, a baby's pacifier, or a model often used for displaying clothes or in accident simulations instead of a human test subject. Calling someone a dummy is slang, inferring that you think they are stupid. However, there is a mental illness, a syndrome, that is not in the diagnostic manuals, but was accepted as a defence in court whereby a defendant stated the murder victim was a dummy or a robot. Was he cleverer than the medical experts who did not even know this belief was part of the syndrome? Or did he really mean what he said as an objectionable term? Is he legally insane or is he evil? This is the case of Jory Lirette, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Murder Me on Monday podcast. I'm Cameron, and joined with me is Mother. Hello. I didn't think cleverer was a word, because gooder isn't a word. Anyway, <laughs> thank you to our most recent patron subscriber, Rachel G, for upping her patron tier. Appreciate it. If you would like to support us via patreon.com where you can get early access and exclusive content and stickers should you want them, please do consider it. Link's in our bio. But if you can't, we understand, but leaving a review is good too. This episode is about child murder. So if you need to skip this one, we understand. And as it's about a disabled boy that has been murdered, I won't say anything that could be considered bad taste. However, I might rip into the jizz rag that is the person that murders him. That's what we're but, about. But until then, I'm I'm obviously not going to say anything because it's inappropriate, obviously. Yeah, you, there's nothing you can say. The research was very hard. Lots of repeating of the same stuff. Lots of stuff that can't be corroborated. Dead links. Even the Wayback Machine couldn't help. No proper trial, so no transcript. And the outcome seemed logical initially. But let us know what you think. We are off to a place called Thibodeau in Louisiana. Not big, around 16,000 residents and about 65 miles southwest of New Orleans. It is Sunday, 14th of August, 2011. Long-term residents of the town, Jesslyn Lurette, age 27, 30-year-old Jeremiah Wright and their 7-year-old son, Jory, live together in a small, outwardly tidy grey house they'd only just moved into a month before. I know nothing about Jesslyn's background. But Jeremiah was one of 11, with a number of half-siblings with his mother. His father wasn't in the picture, so goodness knows if there are dozens on that side of the family too. Now, my first question came about the house. Looks like a bungalow in the pictures. Doesn't seem to be a second story. It's only one bedroom. Bad enough with the child, but Jory was not an ordinary child. He was profoundly disabled. He was born three months premature with cerebral palsy, had to be fed via a feeding tube, had heart problems, was almost completely non-verbal and confined to a wheelchair. Do we know if he had any other form of communication other than verbal? I know some people that are disabled that can't communicate properly. They have a face chart that has like 20 different faces on it to say, oh, I'm feeling happy, I'm feeling hungry, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling anxious, etc. I would suspect he was working towards that because he was at school. It, was a, it wasn't a special school, but they had a special program for disabled children. And he is, well, he, it's on record that he was able to get people's attention by banging on tables. and. So he was uh, able to communicate and laugh. Yeah, and, and he laughed and, he, you know, people really did care about him. He had potential. 
and every child has the potential. But yeah. and at the age of seven, he's not going to be that far along with his ability to communicate if he's already pushed further back. Yeah, yeah. So, he, so he could well have been able to, to learn to communicate. His mum, I believe, is on record as saying that he was starting to say a couple of words over the couple of previous years, but what they were, I haven't been able to find out. But it may well have been something that she could translate. Being a parent, you know. Your children. Speak. You recognise sounds and gestures because if they if they do one thing and they get they want a drink and they stop making the gesture, it's because they wanted water. Yeah. So eventually you learn. Oh, that's what the thing is. Yeah, they're training you, not yeah, teaching yeah, actually, them. Yeah. Yeah. Now Jeremiah didn't work. He had left his last job the previous month after two days. If that was voluntary or fired, I don't know, but it seems to have been a pattern or the norm. Jeremiah would stay at home looking after jewellery when he wasn't at school, while Jesslyn tried to keep a roof over their head by going and being a care worker for other disabled people. Jesslyn and Jeremiah had been together 10 years at this point. There are two notable instances that were red flags for everyone. When Jesslyn had been pregnant, she'd gotten into an argument with Jeremiah who assaulted her punched her in the head so hard he knocked her out she believed she got a restraining order but allowed it to lapse then after jory was born and at the age of six months when it's probably obvious how badly disabled he was going to be i mean him hitting her probably didn't help matters there's probably the direct contributing factor a mother suffering trauma at a pivotal point i.e pregnancy you've brought that up i never mentioned it because i did read but i couldn't find it there is possibly some research going into or at least theories out there that cerebral palsy could be caused by trauma to the mother. It doesn't have to uniquely be to the no, area. It doesn't no. have to be to the stomach. If you t- if you suffer brain damage, are you telling me there's not going to be ramification, downstream effects of said trauma? He was born three months early. Who's, you know? If people get kicked in the head, their dick doesn't work sometimes. <laughs> like, there's definitely, it's not a one-to-one relationship. No, and it's got to wind you up, I think, this one, when we go on about a few more. Jory's six months old. Jeremiah told Jesslyn she had to figure out a way to get rid of the baby. She filed another restraining order in 2004 and again let it lapse. In that order, she had said that Jeremiah had said he was tired of seeing the baby suffer and wanted him dead and that Jesslyn needed to do something about his suffering and end it all. He loved her, but he was sorry that's how he felt about the baby. 2005, Jeremiah served 10 days in jail for theft. And for the life of me, I cannot find out for what. And I'm still baffled why you'd get 10 days in jail for theft. What did he do? July 2011, police were called out to the house to referee a fight between Jesslyn and Jeremiah about money. No mention of any violence. Saturday, 13th of August, 2011. Jess Lynn and Jeremiah fought again and she was done. Jeremiah could sling his hook the next morning. All she needed was to get her truck fixed and then drop him off at his mother's and she needed the truck to take Jeremiah to a medical appointment the next week. Different stories there. Either the truck had broken down and she was going to collect it after it had been fixed or the truck needed new tyres so she went off to get that done. Whatever the reason... Jess Lynn leaves Jory at home with his father. 
Later that morning, a volunteer firefighter is driving down the road that the house was situated on and spots something at the side of the road. I'm guessing here he would have seen a lot being a volunteer, get a lot of calls out to road traffic accidents, so he probably knew what he'd spotted. But he immediately called the police and said he'd seen a suspicious item at the side of the road. Police pop out, thinking perhaps an animal had been killed, and spot Jeremiah leaning on the fence of his house opposite the grass verge where the item was on it. He calls out to them, It's not what you think. It's a head of a dummy. They have a look, and it's obviously not a mannequin. It was a child's head. Jewelry. They talked to Jeremiah, who was cool, calm and collected. He was promptly arrested, and when asked why the head was left there on the grass verge, he said it was to mess with Jesslyn when she got back. He wanted her to feel stupid when she saw it. When asked why he had killed Jory, he said that after having been urinated on and defecated on earlier that morning, he'd had enough of taking care of him and had been planning on killing him for a while. There are no signs of anything amiss with Jeremiah except the fact he was so calm and unbothered. We said that before in another recent podcast, didn't we? Acting weird is normal during a traumatic event. Yeah. And acting normal is the weird bit. You shouldn't be normal during any kind of traumatic event like that. Mm. Well, It just raises red flags everywhere. Now, listeners, you may want to skip 15 seconds now. I can't skip. I want to skip 15 seconds and I can't skip 15 seconds. Jeremiah had waited until Jesslyn had left that Sunday morning. He thought it was his perfect opportunity. He picked Jory up and carried him into the kitchen to the sink. The child weighed no more than 50 pounds. He put a bag over his head and then using a tool from the toolkit the officers found, and it's not disclosed what tool, sawed through his neck until he could remove the head. He also removed one hand and both feet and put those other body parts into three white rubbish bags. Jess Lynn comes home to find the road taped off and horror ensues. She later says many times that Jeremiah was a good father and that Jory was a daddy's boy. Do you think she's saying that to try to... Ah, like it hasn't happened almost. Yeah. No, he's a good father. That can't have happened. He's a good father. He's a good father. He's a good father. Nothing that bad could have happened. This is all just a dream. Yeah, I agree with you. Jess Lynn later says that she had been planning on leaving Jeremiah for a while, but that she just didn't get out fast enough. Jeremiah tells investigators that he had recently seen signs that made him believe he was living with a CPR dummy rather than his son. And he constantly refers to the dummy rather than jewellery. And that is the bit is often reported on, the dummy. Do you think that's a dehumanise him in the ways that he can mentally disassociate from what he's done as well? No, not It's, it, it's not my son, it's only a dummy that I've killed. I couldn't have possibly made that, is what he's thinking. I understand where you're coming from, and it's interesting you've asked that, because when we get into it further... I don't believe any of the psychiatrists and other specialists ever actually asked him what he thought had happened to Jory. You often get it with people that are religiously motivated to do it, thinking, oh, I've birthed the Antichrist, I need to kill them. 
they disassociate from it in that way. It wasn't my son, it's the Antichrist. Yeah, so where did the son go? Yeah. And they're never able to answer that. And I don't know if they don't ask them to ensure that they don't mentally collapse. I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. Jeremiah was charged with first-degree murder and was held in lieu of $5 million bond. No one's going to be bailing him out. Why, why do they do that? Major to say there's no bond. I'm presuming there must be some kind of civil, uh, not civil, um, legal reason why they can't do that. They think they have to set a bail bond. Yeah. Okay, if it's five million, why make it not be more ridiculous and like a dragon scale? Who's gonna for five million dollars? How are they possibly gonna do it? They they don't what? You're absolutely right. I've got no answer to that one. In August 2011, the judge appointed a defence attorney for him, so legal aid equivalent, who had experience in death penalty cases because this was very much a possibility initially in Louisiana, as the victim was under 12 years old. But the DA refused to state that they would seek the death penalty, but they were given until December to bring the formal charges. Jeremiah pleads not guilty despite confessing. Now, I wonder if that's the case of his lawyer put that plea in for him regardless. Now, Jeremiah is taken to prison initially, but then sent to a mental facility for evaluation as no one can actually believe anyone sane had done this. Doctors at the prison, however, had declared that he was mentally competent to assist at his trial and that he was not legally insane. The judge overseeing the whole process didn't seem to like that and insisted Jeremiah was evaluated by at least one psychiatrist for the defence, one for the prosecution and one independent one. This whole process goes on a long time. There's many hearings. 2013, the defence argued that Jeremiah did not have capacity to assist or proceed with the trial, and the judge agreed and sent him back to the state mental facility. 2014, multiple reports, and eventually stuff that the public were not allowed to be told beforehand, came out. A forensic psychologist who had met with him only four times told the court that Jeremiah at the time was off his meds. Seems he was schizophrenic. He heard voices, so auditory hallucinations, was a chronic marijuana user, and as they believed that that made things worse. He had fixed delusional thoughts thought people were part of a grand experiment and at the time of killing Jory said that Jory was a robot put into his home as a government experiment to teach him about life and he wanted to open him up to see what was inside and claimed he had found foam at the joints and the skull was plastic. It seems Jeremiah may have had a rather rare syndrome called Capgrass delusion. They believe, or they can come to believe with this delusion, that someone close to them has been replaced. It's most commonly linked with schizophrenia, but can occur with people with other illnesses. Lewy body, dementia and such like. So the problem is, it's so rare that one of the experts didn't actually know that a replacement didn't have to be a clone or a replicant. It could be an inanimate object or a robot. So thinking your car's turned into a spaceship, 
you're convinced your car sat out there that looks like a car to everybody else is actually now a spaceship. And it can also be that you have been replaced by a robot. The way that we perceive the world is just inputs from our senses. Yes. So if people have issues with that, either like auditory, visual, whatever, combined with some other thing, schizophrenia and smoking weed, and weed exacerbates exacerbates the problems of schizophrenia and can even start it in some people, taking psychedelic drugs when when your psychedelicness isn't that good can send you down a rabbit hole. I've even seen it with people that have schizophrenia that are convinced 100% that there's a person in the corner of the room. They're looking at it and they can't see one, but they're convinced that someone's there. And they start recording the corner of the room as to to try to confirm to themselves after their event that there wasn't actually someone there. And that's kind of almost a good therapy. I recently saw about a guy, he had very long hair, um, kind of like a beard, and he was wearing like a Target uniform or something like that. And he's just sat crying in his room and he shows the camera to himself and he shows it into the corner and he's crying because he thinks there's someone there watching him is going to attack him. And I'm just thinking, just for a second, being in that position, that must be terrifying. Yes. That's par- that's, we're not, they're not paranoid, but they are delusions. Yeah, and that's, well, they, are, they are paranoid that someone's there when they're not. But he's got that much awareness that he knows that it's highly unlikely... So he's trying to... He's aware that it's a schizophrenia, yeah. whatever he's got, is that's the problem. So he's trying to confirm or affirm, whatever the word you want to use later on, that that isn't the problem. Yeah. I've heard of... I've actually heard of that being being done. Whereas the... I've, I don't know the name of it. It's Capgrass? Cap... Yes, Capgas. Capgas, Capgrass. That thing. Capgrass. So are, are these people not aware of the condition they've got or they don't believe it in the sense that if you've got Alzheimer's and you've been told you've got Alzheimer's, to a certain extent, I would then think, oh, my behaviour is going to be weird in the future, but obviously you forget that you have it by nature of the disease in my head i guess i'm trying to rationalize being in that position to do it in the in the first place because I, I can't possibly see how you'd think this child that you have that's yours that you raised for seven years that you suddenly think is being replaced with a dummy i just don't i i'm struggling to get around it and obviously not no matter i want to know why he did it basically yeah and we, we never know why he did it or whatever his reasons were will never be good enough well it seems to be well the problem with capgrass syndrome it's not in the dsm it's a syndrome so you can't there's no real way to... Uh, Treat? No, there is a way... Well, they believe it's treated by antipsychotics, which is what you'd give to the schizophrenics anyway. It can also occur with people that have got brain lesions or degeneration. So, as I said, type of dementia with Lewy body dementia, which makes sense. There's also a link in with some people that have got depression. Their depression is so bad, they start coming out with these delusions but you can't test for it so treatment is therapy this antipsychotic meds or even antidepressants and sometimes people just snap out of it so maybe it's down to the therapy you know there is no one there now it seems jeremiah didn't get any better even after spending a very long time inside the mental facilities and being very medicated he was adamant that still he had taken a robot apart or a dummy and he still used that term dummy. There was a case I found from 1895 where an Irish woman by the name of Bridget was killed and then set on fire by her husband who believed she'd been taken by the fairies and this was a changeling, not his wife. So that's all the fairy stories from my childhood are coming back. There was also a case from 2021 that a lot of you may remember, still hasn't been resolved, where a chap from California called Matthew Coleman takes his two-year-old son and 10-month-old daughter out and disappeared with them. The mother got very worried. He didn't have a car seat for the baby. There was nothing wrong in their marriage. There was nothing going on, but 
he's gone. So she reported him and the children as missing. Eventually, he was found coming back to the USA from Mexico, where he had killed both children with a spear gun, as, according to him, they had inherited serpent DNA and were going to grow into monsters. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yet the press and everyone is hanging on to the fact that his statement mentions QAnon and Illuminati. Well, if he had this syndrome, it would, wouldn't it? Going back to Jeremiah, after six days of testimony with over a dozen witnesses, the judge issues an order that Jeremiah was not guilty by reason of insanity and committed him to the East Louisiana Mental Health System in Jackson. The DA was unhappy with this, but agreed that the evidence from the experts was overwhelming. So there he sits, three meals a day, medication, probably therapy, and no idea how or even if, if he is eventually declared sane, he would be let out. Doubt it, but I don't know. His meds that he was off, wonder how much it was because, like with a lot of people, he either didn't like the side effects or felt fine, or they couldn't afford the meds. They were poor, yet he smoked weed constantly, so maybe self-medication? I'm obviously all one for prison reform. Mm-hmm. That's usually when someone has a learned behaviour due to their environment that leads them to do certain things. This isn't the case. This is some, someone that's got a psychological issue. If he stops taking if he stops taking his meds, those things can reoccur. So he's one of the people that I wouldn't be comfortable with releasing. It's mm. not like a learned behavior where someone does something bad to you, so therefore you act up violently. That can easily be learned by almost anyone. If that's your environment, that's how you'd grow up, and that's how you think, that's how you resolve conflict. Yeah. If someone pisses me off, I beat him up. Someone dies, you go to prison. You learn that's not the case, you come out, you don't repeat it. This guy's got so many issues that if he stops taking his drugs, because in his head, he'll rationalize it. I'll stop taking it. Then mm-hmm. he repeats the process. Mm-hmm. That's not a learned behavior. That's mm-hmm. like him, fundamentally. Yeah, and that's why mental health hospitals are needed. But That's why I wouldn't agree with once if they suddenly consider him to no longer be a threat and they release him. I wouldn't agree with that. No, but my question would be, and I couldn't find an answer to this, would he then be put on trial for the murder of Jory? As in, he's been restored to sanity. He's now mentally well enough to do it. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. There were some nasty things said about Jesslyn. She should have gotten out or she shouldn't have left Jory with him. And also that Jeremiah looked after Jory all the time and it wasn't fair because she was always taking off. But he was the boy's father. She couldn't have known. And she worked. He didn't. So So he's the most available caregiver at the time. Of course he's going to... Are you not familiar with how... like Not you, the, the fucking idiot saying this. How abusive relationships work. The people that are in abusive relationships stay because they're concerned about leaving. They're currently at a certain level of danger that isn't so much that they can leave. There's a word for it. I don't remember what it is. It's that if you're in a situation and you're damp, okay? Whatever reason, however you want to rationalize it, the dampness could be... This is an analogy, mother. Don't look at me like that. It's like saying someone that's being abused but not so severe they want to leave. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're damp, Okay. It's not so bad enough for you to leave. However, if it was torrential rain, you would then leave. So in some cases, a situation being so bad is good because that makes you leave. Her situation obviously wasn't that. The reason why I use dampness there is because it's an easy analogy to make. If you're getting damp, you go, fuck it, I'll tolerate it. But if it's torrential and you're freezing to death, you go, mm, I'm going to go inside. Yeah, It's the same thing. People are not familiar with those things or those people themselves have never been in that situation. You've hit the nail on the head with all of that. I can't disagree. Spitting with... facts, bro. Yeah. 
she couldn't have known that he would do that to him. Maybe to her, she had concerns for her safety, maybe, which would be the norm, wouldn't it? And yet he had tried to make her get rid of jewellery very early on. And he did call him a dummy even back then, which is why I wondered initially if he was faking it. But I doubt I could keep it up. It feels like he meant it as an insult, but then it became a belief and then linked into his mental illness. I think with her, there was an element of sticking it out, like you said, that that miscarriage we talked about early on. I can't find the citation where she actually said that, but apparently she had a blog where it may have been stated. And I can't find anything which annoyed the hell out of me where he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, except the psychologist talking about it in court. There were a lot of reports, but they're locked. And as there was no trial, we won't ever know the contents. It also got me wondering about Jeremiah's childhood, if he was one of 11. And I mean, holy heck, there can't have been much attention given to him as a child. Maybe that's why there was that possible miscarriage. And then the obvious instant dislike of jewellery, aside from his disabilities, which will cause lifelong financial troubles. I bet he was intensely jealous of him and the attention he got from Jess Lynn and other people. Back to the opener. Is he insane or evil or both? Now, the following hypothesis came to me after doing the initial research. Stay with me on this one, Cameron. If Jeremiah was as high as a kite, like out of his tree, when the police asked him why did he do it before his formal interview, and then he starts to come down, Maybe they don't ask if he was impaired. They probably did, but he would have lied, I bet. Still illegal back then. He then starts to realise that they are treating him with kid gloves. So, keeps the pretense up. He goes to prison. He's kept in solitary, obviously. I know that for a fact. And he probably prefers it to when he'd been before, because he'd been in before. So, he keeps up the pretense. Remember... The prison doctors thought he wasn't insane. Schizophrenia does not mean you are unable to assist in your own defence. Schizophrenics are much more likely to harm themselves than anybody else. So, hmm. This guy isn't a Mensa candidate, but I bet he is wily and crafty. Maybe he put together the questions the doctors were asking. Maybe he overheard something and is able to keep the fakery up. He is getting all of his daily needs taken care of. His meds are paid for. No responsibilities. And also the fact that this capgrass delusions about jewellery are not getting any better. Yet all the literature I read on it says that he should have gotten those under control with the meds that he will be on. Suspicious? No. You do get exceptions to the rule. True. True. Yeah, I've done. I don't think this guy is intelligent enough to keep it up. If, if he can't regularly keep down a job and he's got substance abuse issues, I don't think those things are synonymous with someone that can keep up a guy's long enough to convince psychologists. Mm, and then when he's in the medical facility to actually keep up with those as well. If there's just like a normal bloke in a mental health institution, some of the people that have to look after them, the carers, will be like, hang on, this, he's not acting, he's acting atypical. He's not acting how he should do. Mm. Before we finish the episode, I do want to talk about an article I found in the LA Times, and I've linked it as usual. This is about the funeral home that Jory was taken to and the work that the embalmers put in to enable Jess Lynn to have an open casket viewing. Now, that's something I've never seen in the UK, but I know it's a thing for sure. 
There was a team that worked for days. One of the men was an ex-priest and still very religious, but in a spiritual way. He felt it was his job to take care of people in death, returning them to God in his image. I'm not remotely religious, but the article is so well written, you really did understand why the man felt the way he did. It sounds like the ex-priest wasn't doing it in a preaching way, it's in a compassionate way. Absolutely. He wants to return, he wants to do as good as he can by someone else within his sort of confines of religion, if you like. It's an absolutely brilliant article. At the time of Jory's death, Jesslyn had wanted a cremation, but it wasn't allowed as it was an ongoing case. Now, these funeral directors did the job of a lifetime. No one would have known what had been done to Jory by the time that they finished. 500 people came to the viewing to see him. And when the coffin was to be closed, Jesslyn told the funeral director Jory was scared of the dark. The funeral director put a torch in Jory's hand before they closed the casket. And I've still got goosebumps from that. Hundreds of people gathered for Jory's mass the next day. After his casket was placed in the hearse, dozens of motorcyclists led the procession to the cemetery. The little boy loved to hear the motorbike start. He'd get all happy, said a motorcyclist who lived next door to Jory. I hope Jessalyn is getting the help she will need and those police officers and investigators needed counselling too and the school also had to put counsellors in to help the teachers and pupils. And that is the end of this week's episode. Finally, the victim who should not be forgotten. Jory Kyla Joseph Lurette, aged seven. And on that sombre note, that is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Twitter and Instagram, Murder Me Murder Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Much love. Peace. Bye.